I can I can do uh, cut steaks and everything. Actually, we've timed it. We've had several over the years. My dad and I like to race nowadays. You know, we had this competition. Uh, so just by myself, about fifteen <laughs> minutes, I can cut all the steaks in the hind quarters and cops. Tell him it takes me to field dress, and that's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Ram Trucks. Guts, glory, Ram. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 173. We already up to 173? Yeah, we are. Feels like just yesterday we started. It's funny how sometimes time just drags along and sometimes it flies by. That's right. Well, we skipped an episode last week. My fault. Decided to go. I I should back up. You're Tim Chelswick. I'm Matt Drury. If if someone doesn't know that already. Where you been? Well, they're new to this. I mean, we get new people all the time, Tim, (laughs) obviously. Restraining credulity, sir. Yes. So uh, last week, you know, we usually shoot these Monday, Tuesday, and they go up on Wednesdays. And we just were backed up last week. And then Wednesday, I was out. Scott and I went to the farm trying to get some last minute prep work that never, you know, I don't this care. This last minute stuff is. I, I, it's just, it, it takes me back to college, back to high school, back to everything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's horrible. You know, you know when opening day is and how come, how come every year I'm always late to get everything done? I'm actually feeling a, a pretty good about my preps so far. And if people can't see your face, you just stuck your tongue out, rolled your eyes. and wobbled your head. Epilepsy there. (laughs) The only thing I need is water. I need rain for my food plots. Yeah. So I'm actually working on a a gravity feed rain barrel set up for the back of my pickup truck. I'm going to fill it up with water and go out there. It's kind of like a more hillbilly version of what your dad and Mark do with, with water in their plots. Yeah. I got to do something because there's like chances of rain for the next few days, but nothing We're good enough. supposed to have one today at my place. And it's just one of those things we planted. I think it was August 18th or 19th, somewhere in there. And we had a, probably about a two and a half, three week stretch almost where no precipitation, which, yeah, which I use that Delta Ag seed coat. Uh-huh. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard me telling stories where I had not used it. Just want to get some different shots. Bragged about uh, getting rain and uh, then didn't. (laughs) What was that? It was was our guest talking. (laughs) Okay. All right. So anyways, so you've you've heard me brag about using, not using Delta Ed Seacoat, not getting rain, and then having a disastrous fall. Well, I start using it and had good luck. Well, that the thing Mark says is if you don't get any moisture, then you're good to go. Like you go 30 days, a little bit will kill you. But if you get one rain, a little bit of rain, like a, you know, that's worse than not getting rain when you're using that stuff. So I did get a little bit, I got like a half inch, you know, three quarters of an inch one day. And that was it. I haven't got anything since now I've looked at like my reconic cell camera on the food plot and it's starting to sprout up a little bit. You can see it's starting to look, I saw a picture this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Looking okay. So I could really use another rain. Everybody's kind of in the same boat right now. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So, and and I'm hoping my first plots aren't my last plots. So I'm going to go out there and try to hillbilly water those things. Yeah. No Um, doubt. We should have mentioned at the outset, today's 
podcast episode is all about early season butchering tips. Yeah. If you happen to be successful early on and it's hot where you are, we've got uh, Adam Eller who did the Outdoor Edge series and DeerCast and also they ran on their social. Yeah, YouTube and all that stuff. It's, it's very informative. It's, it's, it's a great series and so if you plan on killing early and you live in an area where it's going to be a little warm, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for this show. You know, or you could be like me and procrastinate on that too and try not to, because <laughs> if I planned on killing early, I'm not killing early. <laughs> but maybe if I think it's not going to happen till the end of October, maybe we'll get lucky. Uh, like a reverse self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. It, and then you better just have a good internet signal on your farm if you need to brush up and <laughs> quick Google I need to it. watch these videos Yeah, real that's quick. right. So before we get into that, we want to jump into the featured dirt for this week's podcast. So as you uh, have heard in the past, Mossy Oak Properties, we teamed up and we feature mm-hmm. you know a, a specific farm or property that they're selling. So the one that we're featuring today, this one's out of probably most of your leagues. Mine certainly. I know yours as well. Yep. But it's so phenomenal. We're going to talk about it anyway. It's historic. It's historic. So yes, that's right. Giles Island, a legendary track is for sale. This generational sale with only two owners in the last 130 years, so do no, so do not miss out. Giles Island is long known as the premier deer hunting destination in the Southeast United States, if not in the entire country. This is a 6,350-acre deer hunting paradise and has produced many legends over the last 25-plus years. Contact certified land specialist Tom Middleton at 601 601- five nine seven five seven two seven click the link in the show notes or google mossy oak properties four nine nine four three so even though that's out of pretty much most of our leagues you should go check it out anyways because it's just cool to be nosy <laughs> go thumb around on their <laughs> the, website the pictures are incredible and their lodges on the property I, I mean mossy oak has been hunting down there for as long as i can remember and the the video the video hunts that they do down there i mean yeah it, it's storied to say the least so giles island it's pretty phenomenal the check it out and alligators everything Everything, maybe, maybe Tim. you, me, and someone else go in on it. And, uh, <laughs> Some, uh, we need, like, we're a 1% of an what, LLC. What's Warren Buffett's number? And then we need somebody that can be the 99%. <laughs> yeah. We'll hang to your stands. Yeah, I'll do whatever you got to do. Uh, yeah, so that's the that's the feature dirt. Um, we've got some shout-outs. Oh, great. For this. Now, the shout-outs this week are pretty legit. Let's hear them. Okay, let's. So the first one is from uh, one of our Instagram followers. I don't know if his name is pronounced Robbie or Roby. Hmm. Looks like Roby. Robbie Cooper. Let's call him Robbie. Robbie Cooper says, podcasts are awesome, bro. He has a, a smiley, laughy face guy there. Though. I didn't know how to pronounce that. Is he joking, maybe? <laughs> he started with Wait that. Wait a minute. Maybe he's really mean. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Robbie, it could go either way. How about you get it? All right. Eric Hall, love this podcast. One thing I appreciate is that we get to watch Matt and Tim grow as hunters, not putting either of them down. It'd be okay if he did, (laughs) but they know they're not Mark or Terry and neither are the majority of your followers. Well, that's the truth right there. Let's get some applause because we are not Mark or Terry. Although you have glasses, you're closer to... If you shaved and just had a goatee, you could pass for Mark, maybe. I love Mark. Like back in the the 90s, Mark's kind of slicked back, ready to sell you a used car. What's wrong with a slick slick back hair, Tim? Yeah. All right. And the goatee or the mustache. Enough with the shenanigans. Let's get to it. Let's dig in. All right. Adam Eller. 
Adam's joining us from Deer Camp in Kentucky. He's chasing velvets. Lucky. What's up, Adam? How are you, buddy? Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for listening to uh, the BS before you jumped on. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks Sorry for Sorry about ahead. that. I, I uh, hit the unmute button on there on you for a minute there. No, That's I, all right. I, I, it sounded like one of our hunt videos, like someone talking about a shot, and I was thinking maybe we were running something on one of our production. Or maybe I hit one on the soundboard by yeah, accident. It's also very likely. $200. $200 is $200. There you yes, go. Yes. So soundboard in full effect. So, All right, Adam, maybe talk about your history with butchering deer, because like I said earlier, um, I, I became introduced to you based on that series that Outdoor Edge did. And obviously you're skilled and it's an area that not everyone, it's a, it's a skill set not everyone has. So talk about your development there. <laughs> You'll get there. You know, I guess I just grew up into it in the family. Uh, my dad was a meat butcher. We've had retail stores uh, with butcher shops uh, into, since 1979. And back in 79, he also added wild game processing to our mix. You know, being from small town USA, uh, we've had to diversify to uh, survive. So anything that we can do to help our business and feed my hunting habits, um, it's just something that's worked hand in hand great with what we do. So I've I've spent the majority of my life, uh, you know, learning from him and uh, spent a lot of time on the, the knife. We we process around a thousand deer a year. So, you know, I, I get practice. That's, that's what it's all about is, uh, and anything that you do is the time spent doing it. You, you can tell when you watch the videos yeah. as Adam is going through and selecting out the different muscle groups. He's done it before. Yeah. Something that takes me hours. He's like, yeah, done. Yeah. And like finding the joints, because if you're doing it right, you really shouldn't have to muscle your way through it you should be able to just dissect it pretty, pretty handily. So that, that, and, and I'll link that series up here in the show notes for this episode, but let's talk about, so you get an early season kill, which is awesome. But then you realize, oh man, it's 70 some yeah. degrees or warmer and you know, time is not on your side. Definitely. There's flies all over the place. What do you start thinking like immediately after, and maybe even it starts before the shot. I don't know. Take me through your thought process on keep making sure you get the best product out of your deer. Well, obviously the, the biggest thing uh, that we do is, is get the deer out of the woods and feel dressed as soon as we can. And, and then we want to get the hide off again, as soon as we can The hide holds a lot of heat to body. And, uh, especially on these bigger bucks and bigger animals, uh, their, their muscle structure is so much more dense mm -hmm. and, uh, that will again, hold so much more heat, more as like a, a doe or something like that you might not have to break down quite as far, but we just want to get everything broke down and get it cooling as quickly as possible. It, it seems like you almost want, and I know you were talking about this last year, <laughs> trying to figure out a game plan before you hit the woods. So you knew where you could go Yeah, uh, if, if you happen to kill something. Yeah. I don't really have a spot to like, I, I can't take it back to my garage, you know, an hour and a half South. I can't, you know, there's not really anywhere I can hang it. And so I was trying to like f find out where all the processors near me were uh -huh. to, to be able to take it somewhere right away. Well, hell, that's really a problem too in the early season. Cause you don't get done hunting until say you shoot one early, even you're, you know, you're not going to get done until late and everything's mm -hmm. closed by sure. then. So, you know, it's like, I always, back in the day, I always remember dad, you know, putting a couple bags of ice in the body cavity yeah. and then on top of it until you could 
go, go to take it to, to basically do what you got to do with it from there. So what, Adam, what's your strategy if you don't have somewhere to hang it and kind of do it, you know, I guess obviously you could do it on the ground, but what, what's your strategy there? So I'd like to get the meat boned out and there are guys that will throw them actually in a cooler and put ice right on the meat. Now it's not going to ruin the meat, but what you're going to notice is the meat is going to really start uh, turning more of a pinkish fleshy color. You know, a lot of the blood's going to come out of the water's going to start, you know, the ice is going to melt. And um, something you can do to avoid that, which I kind of like to do if you uh, dry ice, obviously if it's available is a really nice option, not always readily available. Um, Another thing that you can do is you talk about having a plan in place is maybe some bigger uh, ice packs or maybe you freeze up a, a milk jug full of water so that you can put those in your cooler and kind of layer the meat in there. So not all the meat's laying on itself. You get some layering in there to get some airflow, and then you don't have all that water uh, breaking that meat down. You know, so that's that's something that I would do personally, um, just to kind of I don't I don't like to uh, you know run the blood all out of the meat like that. I guess. In general, the way I've worked on when I work on deer is just try to avoid moisture at all costs, whether that's hosing off a deer or having it in in direct contact with ice, like in a cooler. So it's sitting in melted ice water. Is that generally a a good principle to follow, Adam? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I will tell you though, a lot of people um, are scared of the garden hose. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, you know, as a processor, what we see when it comes in is people, you know, the deer gets dragged through the woods, you know, it gets, you know, field dressed and then, you know, through the woods and leaves and debris in the, in the body cavity, you know, it, it will not hurt it at all to hose it down good with some cold water and let that animal drain out mm-hmm. um, and making sure you, you know, because think about, you know, you know, your food uh, sitting on your dinner plate, you know, you can make a big difference in the field. And once you get out of the field and, and getting all of that stuff cleaned up and it just makes such a better product in the end and you're not wasting so much meat trying to clean that up. So you are okay with hosing out the, the internal cavity? Absolutely. Um, you know, when we, being a processor and a hunter, when we take our animals in, I can show somebody, okay, here's here's the way this meat looks when we do it. And this is what happens when it's drugged through the brush mm-hmm. and everything after it's been dressed. A lot of times that's what happens. And um, it's quite a significant difference. You would be surprised. Um, and the water is not going to hurt at all. Just let it drain out good, you know, where okay. it's not just laying on the ground, get it hung up and let everything drain good. That one where a dad's, he, I mean, dad's got the ultimate setup up there. And so he, you know, we'll hook it up. We'll, we'll, it's, we got a little hitch there and we'll mm-hmm. pull it up and then, you know, we'll, we'll drink, we'll spray it off like really, really good and let it drip dry basically. Yeah. And then he actually does have a walk-in cooler right there. So it's really convenient when, when we're exactly. at his place. But, uh, so then, you know, it's, it's there and whether, you know, we do the processing there at, at camp or take it to a processor, it's, it's pretty much cleaned and, and ready to go, you know, and he, he's always been meticulous about that because he always felt like the meat, you know, if you let leave that blood there, the blood gives it a different flavor too. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we're always spraying it out and making sure it's really, really clean before we ever put it, you know, in the cooler or, or you know, or process it or whatever we're going to do with it. Yeah. And that seems to be another principle is that blood is bad. Like whether it's in the meat <clears> or on the meat, you want to, you want to make sure that you get as, as much of that blood off or out of it. 
Correct. 100%. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once you get into the processing further too, the fat, you know, you know, on, on steer or, uh, you know, domestic animals, you know, the fat can, can be good and help add flavor. Uh, whereas the exact opposite in wild game, a lot of your gaminess, uh, comes from just that, the fat, you know, the bone, the marrow. If you're using a bone saw, we hand cut everything that we do, everything boneless. So you're not dragging any of that through that nice, clean meat. What about the call fat, like around the kidneys and stuff? I've, I've, I've always heard people using that for kind of exotic recipes and that it's delicious, but I've not ventured that. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, a question better answered by a guy like Steven Rinella or something. You know, he really, uh, is into that kind of stuff. Me personally. Um, no, I, I discard it, uh, when I'm field dressing, uh, I don't know, uh, wild game fad. It's just, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, it's a texture thing too. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. almost kind of pasty even, you know, it's not like a domestic uh, fat animal. So we just, we clean up, you know, as much of it as we can, you know, you know, it just makes a, a better product in my opinion. Okay. Now how about actually breaking down, doing the deboning, the knives that you like the, the particular blades that you're using in that process. Cause what you use for skinning out the deer is probably different than, than deboning and keeping those blades clean. You know, talk me through that process. Yeah. So we, I really like, uh, like a six inch, uh, curved boning knife. Um, like seeing a lot of the videos, that's what I use. One of David's kits there is it just as it works all around. I'm, I'm used to that length of blade and it's got a little bit of flexibility to it. Um, a little bit stiffer than like a flay knife, let's say. So that way, when you're trying to get into those joints that you talked about finding, and that is the biggest uh, piece of being fluent is cutting an animal is not running your blade against that bone all the time. And, and that's, what's going to break that blade down so much quicker where that blade can flex and follow the curvature of that bone. And then you can kind of just feel your way into those joints and break them apart, you know, effortlessly and without putting all that damage on your blade. You know, that's really the key factor in the whole thing and learning the relationship between your knife and the bone structure of that animal, any animal that you're, that you're processing. How many times are you resharpening as you work your way through a deer? I mean, on a deer, if I start off with a good knife, um, I'm not going to touch, touch my knife through that whole entire deer. Um, if it's, if it's good and sharp, you know, over the years of learning, you know, to stay away from the bone, it's, it's going to be pretty near as sharp by the end as it did when I started, just because I'm not, I'm not putting it up against that, you know, that bone structure very much. And it's, that's taken a lot of time over the years to learn that. And I'm not saying that you can just go right out and do that. But for the most part, once you get it figured out, that the blade will last quite a long time. That's the difference between Adam and myself because I'm <laughs> like maybe two, sometimes three times putting a, uh, a finishing up that edge on the the knife because I am touching bone. And, and I'll also spend some time going through cutting out the rib meat because I, I just feel like I hate wasting the rib meat if it's not all tore up from the shot and I'll throw it in the, uh, the grinder. But is there, a, do you do anything special with rib meat aside from grind it? Oh, uh, no. You know, that'd be exactly what we would do. You know, grind it with a user for burger or you're making sausage or, you know, any of that kind of stuff is exactly what we would do with it. Yeah. What What are the, some of the things that you see guys do and you just cringe? Um, prob probably the, the biggest thing really goes back to not field dressing it 
properly, not really taking care of it, you know, or maybe another thing is, you know, and maybe not like heat quite like what's here in Kentucky, but even in Michigan, you know, during early October, you know, you're still 55, 60 degrees during the middle of the day. And I get, I get asked a question a lot of times, you know, man, you know, I, I can't quite get to that deer tonight, but you know, I plan on cutting it up. How long do you think it'll last hanging in my garage? And, and quite, quite simply, um, I tell them to take a package of hamburger out of their retail store and go sit it out in their garage and tell me when they feel comfortable eating it or not eating it. You know, it I think sense. a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, I that hide the hair of the animal somehow protects it or preserves it. And it's just, it's just not the case. In fact, it can, uh, it can actually, uh, be worse, you know? So that's, that's probably the biggest thing I hear. That's why if you don't have the setup, <clears throat> you better be ready for a long night. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yes. Yep. And, I mean, and the first year of the season, at least for me, always takes the longest because it's like, well, I haven't done this in however many months. And yeah. you, the muscle memory is not quite there. <laughs> it takes me 15 minutes to field dress the deer, much less <laughs> do anything else with it. So. When, when, when you have... When you're field dressing the deer, do you like them on their side? Do you try to, I've seen some guys hang them up by the neck. So everything just kind of falls out. What's your setup? You know, when we're in the field and traveling like this right here, um, I definitely like it straight uh, on its back um, to where, you know, cause I, I, I kind of like to pull up uh, on the flank to get my knife started in there. So you stay away from the paunch um, and, and use like a gut hook style. Yeah. Um, so you keep it all clean. Try to try to refrain from a lot of guys getting in a hurry or whatever. And you hit that punch. And, and that's the biggest thing is you get any of that acid out of the stomach or any of that stuff in there. Um, that's when you really want to make sure you wash them out good. Because, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, that have tried venison and maybe they don't, they're like, man, you know, I just, it's just not for me. Like, I think a lot of that, again, stems back to uh, how it was handled in the field because, you know, they, they just, you know, they're not treated properly and that all comes right to the pan in the end. And you are going to taste that and you're going to notice those things. So I can't, I can't express that enough because that's the number one thing that we see that I get discouraged, you know, if they would just take a little more time in on that process to make the whole thing better, you know? So say you're, you know, kill a deer, you field dress it and you don't have somewhere to hang it to, to then go about deboning what what do you what do you do at that point i mean you know is there do you lay out a tarp and then like somebody would for an elk or a mule deer or you know what what's the process there yeah i would find whatever the cleanest place that i could say that you were up in the mountains like that uh, find the cleanest place that you can to to get this animal deboned as quickly as possible uh get it into game bags to keep the flies and stuff like this off from it and, you know, I mean, it just get it out as quick as you can. In some cases, you know, you, you're, you're not going to have the perfect scenario. That's, that's hunting throws curveball at you all the time. And, um, you know, um, I, that's, that's the best scenario that I got for you there. I don't really know how to elaborate on it much, but just keeping it clean any way that you can think imaginable, you know? Yeah. I also, uh, over the years, it's, it's occurred to me just how important being comfortable as, as the guy doing the butchering, how important being comfortable is. Uh, cause 
you start taking shortcuts or you maybe don't do as thorough of a, of a job. If you're tired or the light's not good or you're cramped or you're sore from having to bend over to work mm-hmm. on the deer. So as much as I can, I like to try to get them up higher to where I'm not stooped over as much working on what I'm deboning or like in the field. Um, but uh, yeah, so... So in terms of actually storing them in a cooler, what's your time frame on, obviously with ice in there, but how much time do you have reasonably before you have to get them out and get it processed in the fridge? I mean, if you've got a good cooler, and I think if you're using larger box of ice, like I had mentioned, mm-hmm. taking a, a milk jug and filling it with water, freezing it down, a bigger volume ice like that's going to last longer. Obviously, the the cooler has got a large part to do with it. How how airtight the cooler is, but you know, in in those situations and where you can keep it in the shade, you know, gosh, I think you could get a couple days if you had to to get it if you were coming down out of some upper country or whatever yeah. you were doing, and still be safe. You know what I mean? And and you're not going to have all that water your meat sitting in the water, you know, cause it will, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it'll bleach it right out to like, yep. almost like the color of a, of a pig. You know what I mean? Like the blood washes out and, you know, people say they, they, they still enjoy it that way. And I think it's maybe a, a personal preference. I just like when I see my venison to be nice and red and, you know, like, like, like you would perceive it should be. Sure. That, that water has got to carry a lot of the flavor out. I mean, it's the same thing with morels or anything like that. It, yeah. You're cleaning it up a little bit, but if it soaks, if it takes on all that water and then you're losing a bunch of stuff in the process, it's probably taking some flavor. So what would be the difference between that and say, you know, say turkey rust, you, you know, people that use, um, what, what kind of milk, um, uh, half and half or whatever, you know, buttermilk, buttermilk. buttermilk. Yeah. 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 What's the difference? Is that buttermilk adding flavor? Cause I always thought that that is t- helps take the gaminess out of it. So I, I, I think, and, and Adam, you probably know better than I do, but I think the basic nature of the buttermilk probably neutralizes some of the acids in the wild Turkey and probably makes it a little mild. Would you use that on a deer at all to, in the same type I, of way? I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. No. I don't know. You ever heard anyone doing that? No, I haven't. Now, now when we hunt down in uh, Central Florida, hog hunting, and 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 a lot of the, there's a lot of families down there that are in need of, of of protein, and we've donated some over the hunts here in the last couple of years, and that's the one thing that the Floridians taught me is the milk bath and how much it does help the flavor of those wild hogs and actually uh, does take the gaminess out of them. I, I haven't personally had it, uh, but they were showing me how they do it. And they, and they went through two different processes uh, where they put it through the milk, drain it, and then run it one more time. And he said it, it made a huge difference. So I definitely see where they're coming from there. Then you got to drink the milk. <laughs> <laughs> Choke it down. Why is my milk pink? I got diarrhea. <laughs> that would totally give you diarrhea. You'd have dysentery for days. <laughs> on those coolers, I'll typically open up the drain cock on the cooler to 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 make sure there's not loose water in there. Is that something you do? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. You know, any of that water that you can keep out of there. To me, that's the best way to have it. You know, we get them because we get a lot of, uh, we actually did, I think, 14 elk last year from Colorado that come clear across the country to see me and uh, mule deer and stuff. And that's over the years that we've, those guys, what they're actually able to do is uh, that outfitter there has a freezer, a chest freezer where they can freeze it down. They've already got it deboned, of course, and they'll put a little dry ice on top. And shoot, they can come 24 hours across country and mm-hmm. I still have to put it in my coolers 
my walk-in coolers and slack it out for two or three days because it's a massive hunk of meat. And uh, what do you mean slack it out? Let it uh, it thaw, right? Exactly. Slacking. Yep. Exactly. And I was asking for the benefit of the listener, you clod. <laughs> Come on, Tim. <laughs> because because that's the other side. We're talking about heat right now, but you also don't want. I mean, if you kill late season, you don't want your deer to hang out in 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 freezing temperatures because that's an issue too. It is. It is a. It's a very big issue as a processor because let me. This is this is what you go through. You know, especially up in Michigan where, you know, in that late season, we do get into the teens very often and even single digits. Mm -hmm. And these animals come in and I've actually over the years, uh, they can come right in and you can stand them right up. They've hung and their legs are straight out and they're solid rock. And so now this presents an issue for me because I, you can't get the hide off from them, you know, so you've got to take them in and slack them out and uh, get them in a cooler even to get the hide off and then to get all the muscle muscle tissue thawed back out oh you know it creates twice the work for me now what what it does for the meat it really doesn't affect that it's more uh to give your processor some love you know like don't put me through that you know type of thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and and if you're like if you're hanging your deer outside it's frozen it's going to be a bugger to get it thawed out and just to work on it. it it, yeah, it takes a long, it'll take, it'll take a few days to do it right. You know what I mean? You, you don't want to, you don't want to take it right into a warm room and, and try to do that quickly. You know? Yeah, that can be done. But again, you're putting stress on that meat and you don't want to do that. You want to yeah. get into like a 40 degree cooler and slowly bring it back down, you know, is the right way to do it. So how long does it take you to debone a, a whitetail, you know, get, I guess good, perfect condition where you have, you have the ability to hang it up. You got all your knives there. How long does it typically take you to do it? I can, I can do a uh, cut steaks and everything. Actually we've timed it. We've had several over the years. My dad and I like to race nowadays, you know, we had this competition. Uh, so just by myself, about 15 <laughs> minutes, I can cut all the steaks in the minutes. hind quarters with cops. How long it takes uh, me to field dress, and that's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> with a, with a full crew, we've actually been noted. Uh, we had the DNR there. We have a check station at our facility, and uh, we had a uh, uh, grandpa come in with his grandson, and and we had just kind of finished up, you know. So we were kind of cleaning up, but you know, you look at the clock, it's like, man, the hunters are going to be coming out of the woods here pretty quick. Uh-huh. We're going to stick around and and get some more animal skinned and get these these coolers filled back up. Well, um, he says, well, should I come back in a couple of days and get that deer? Are you going to call me? And I said, oh, we'll have it done in about 15 minutes. And <laughs> he laughed and he said, I'll see you in a couple of days. And, and I said, I tell you what, why don't you grab your grandson and, and we'll walk you through the process. You know, I've got 12 guys idle right now, and this is going to, this could be pretty cool. So the DNR set a stopwatch and it was, um, just over 11 minutes, we put his deer, including his salami and jerky. Obviously, we batch all that out in 100-pound batches, so our customers are aware they don't get you know those, yeah. those specialty items back like that. But we, we literally put it back in his box in the back of his truck in 11 minutes. <laughs> That was, that was a, a company record. Wish you were around all the time. Oh, <laughs> I could use a guy we like you. <laughs> cell phone number. Can you come to Missouri? <laughs> with, with, having gone through, with having gone through so many deer, have you ever found anything weird inside of a deer? Like old broadheads? Oh, you would not believe some of the... I, I'm just going to tell you just a couple of the really wild ones. 
Um, I've seen full length uh, arrow shafts, fletching and all, laying on the top of the rib cage, full shaft oh, from front to back um, on that top of that rib shelf. We've seen uh, broadheads, you know, in the throat where um, grass and stuff has got caught in it, where they're, you know, the next year they're still, you know, it, it's crazy what they can go through. We've seen um, a, a guy that must have been heartbroken, an arrow that went behind the shoulder blade. And it, there's, you know, it's like when they have a full chest of air or when it's deflated, there's quite a difference. And where this arrow went through, uh, we, you know, we held an arrow through there kind of looking at the traje- trajectory. And this guy must be still thinking about how did you're not die. And it was a great buck, you know, so you, you start to see um, all those things that happen. And, and I use your app a lot, DeerCast, and, um, and uh, seeing like when you hit an animal and like, you know, what's going to happen. And um, we see so much of that doing wild game processing that it really gives me a lot of respect for the animals and just how resilient they are. Yeah, that's, it's pretty amazing. We talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, I've, I've 12 ringed him. How'd he run so far? Why, you know, why are we a mile later still trailing him? Like, this is crazy. It's just amazing what they, especially during the rut when they're all jacked up, oh, Yeah, you know, it's like they're on steroids and just run through a wall. Well, stay pretty- tuned for the wildlife word because you're kind of teasing it right now. I, you don't even realize I it. See. <laughs> Can you imagine living with a, with a full shaft of a, of an arrow <laughs> no. laying a lo- a, right along your spine? Well, Tim, I have a screw and a pin in my ankle. Is it something really? like that? That's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> you should get the handicap sticker for that's your right. truck. Yeah. <laughs> that's that that's incredible. And and it, I mean Mark says all the time they're good at living. Yeah. And, and we suck at killing them. <laughs> apparently. They're they're super uh super creatures. And what, what, sometimes when people say you're hunting poor defenseless deers, like you have no idea what these things are capable of, the superpowers they really have. Well, how about we uh, roll into the question of the day? All right. Let's do that. Let's do it. The question of the day is proudly brought to you by HHA Sports, 100% American made with a lifetime warranty. HHA is the leader in bow sight technology. It's going to be a good one. There's a little lead up here, so some dead sound. Hi. Hello. This is Wildman from Buffalo County, Wisconsin. I just want to touch base with the Drury Brothers because I – think they're awesome hunters and you just shut it off it did that on its own <laughs> we'll have to i yeah, just shut off well ah. w- wild man's wanting to know if we're having issues with ants in our cameras you know what i'm having issues with the ipad technology <laughs> <laughs> we should check see if these things charge before we do well, it is <laughs> i hey you just can- swept it off <laughs> Did I? Yeah, it came up and you went, <laughs> and then it turned off. It's my first time. Well, what? So we'll we'll, we'll layer in the audio later on. This is Wildman from Buffalo County, Wisconsin. I just want to touch base with the Drury Brothers because I think they're awesome hunters and they're good people. I hope to have great luck in the woods this year. I hope so too. It's been a while since I shot a big buck. So a question I was going to ask is. Is anybody else besides me or a couple other people have problems with ants in their camera this year? Let me know. Thank you. Bye. 
It's it's a great one. <laughs> wild man is from Buffalo County, Wisconsin. Didn't sound too wild. <laughs> he's he's. Wild I'd like to with, see what this guy does at night. I mean, why is he wild man? <laughs> he's wild with insects in his trail cameras. So, Adam, have you had issues with critters making their homes out of your uh, out of your trail cams? You know, probably the biggest thing I've had issues with in uh, we we've got a lease down in Illinois. And I don't know about you guys down that way, but the squirrels, the squirrels oh, literally yeah. eat the cases, the antennas. I don't know how many antennas I replaced this year. I, I cannot get over what the squirrels do in Illinois. I, I don't know if they're on crack or, or what's going on. <laughs> they're in Illinois. That's I, part of the problem. I've never seen that until Aaron Bennett, one of our team members, he posted about it in DeerCast. It's like, you know, it looked like a damn bear was getting after it. <laughs> yeah, it was gnarly. <laughs> never, never seen that before. Uh, you know, I have, I, I have had some like things laying, like making cocoons inside yeah. the trail cams. It really has to do with whether or not they have the little rubber gasket around the lid when you close them. And I, I've never had the issue. I mean, you know, maybe a few, but I know like dad leaves his cameras out year round. Mm-hmm. And I know that he has had that happen before where ants get in and just totally, you know, screwed up basically i mean you know if he, you have thousands of them inside there it isn't yeah. a good isn't a good thing a so nooks and crannies for them to yeah lay their eggs yeah so i don't it's not happened to me but it, i know you know it's it happens obviously so yeah. it just it bear, like anytime you're out in the woods look where your hands are going like never reach into a place where are your hands never, going never reach into a place where you can't see because <laughs> there was one year there's a uh, i think it's called like the tussock moth here in Missouri, Sounds but it, but when it's in caterpillar form, it's got these venomous spines on it, and it feels like you've been poked with fire. It, and I just like brushed up against it, reaching my hands in a hickory. They're found in hickory trees primarily. Brushed my hand up to put a screw in, step in, and I, I brought it back real quick because it was on fire. And it was one. Of, I just saw a little caterpillar making his way along the edge, and I've learned that that's that's what they do. Hmm. That's their defense. So, yeah, you got to look where you're reaching. Feels like you're in a locust tree. Yeah. Right? Why, why would you do that? Why would you put your stand in a locust tree? We did. I mean, when there's no other tree, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, Scott I mean, had stories about that. Yes. His forearms were like yeah. puffy with yeah, poke and prodded and it's like he had acupuncture. <laughs> okay, wildlife word. Brought to you by Deercast. The most advanced hunting app ever. Yeah, that's right. Take that, other apps. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the wildlife for this week. During the fall, a whitetail's phys- physiology increases its store of vitamin K. What's one of the effects of that extra vitamin K? Is it A, less frequent bowel movements? Hmm. Is it B, increased blood clotting ability? C, hardening of the antlers? Or D, softening of their hooves? Dang, these are all like solid answers, I feel like. We're going to let Adam go first. <laughs> of course. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you what know, is I the, thought I had it. And then you kept saying more and I'm like, ah, it, it could be any one of them. Literally. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, coagulation process. I feel like maybe that's my best guess. Okay. Can you say it in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Can you spell it? Hey, Ron. <laughs> 
So what does extra the extra vitamin K in a in a whitetail's body do during the fall? I, Less frequent bowel movements, increased clotting, hardening of the antlers, or softening of the hooves? I, I well, originally I was thinking the hardening of the antlers, but you said during the fall, so that yep. would be. So I'm going to go with the coagulation. Yep, yep, that's right, that's right. So uh, so it's interesting. It's amazing. These creatures continue to uh, amaze the scientists that study them. So not only are they do they have the ability to to heal faster from wounds, but the adrenaline after they have an encounter with a hunter, it decreases their pain. So they could get hit, they feel less pain, and they're going to coagulate a lot faster. They're going to clot faster. So some people have said they're almost like a walking pharmacy during the fall because they have all the things on board to help them survive wounds and injuries. Well, you see some, like I just proofed an episode of 13 the other day where Taylor, well, and I think it's aired now actually, where Taylor shot a buck in Missouri that had its eye gouged out, you know, during the rut, I'm oh, sure, sure in a fight or whatever. And you think about it, it's like, I mean, that's pretty traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Chugging along. Still like living life. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and you see him where they might have a, a puncture or something, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. from, from fighting. And it's just crazy. Yeah, well, and obviously, you you know, Adam's talking about arrows inside of them from the year before or whatever. I mean, you you wouldn't be able to walk two feet, <laughs> much less down. miles at a time. Well, I got stung by a little caterpillar and that's, I had to go home. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other interesting things that, that I was reading about is just that the importance of a sharp broadhead. And I think I've heard Mark and Terry talk about this. They had like a cardio cardiologist talk about the importance yeah, of a Dr. sharp Strickland, broadhead. I believe. And, and there really is a thing to that that like the the more blunt a broadhead is the more tearing it does the more it it increases the deer's coagulation response a sharp broadhead kind of subverts that system and allows them to bleed out more and faster <laughs> never thought about that everyone's lives are changed now <laughs> for Good or Say bad. It. Got him. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Adam, if people want to learn more about what you're doing up there in Michigan, how do they do that? Um, you know, so we've you got a Facebook page that. that they can uh, follow. We try to keep it updated with what's going on. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably the best place to keep up to date and most current with what we're doing. What was the name of the page? So our processing is uh, Village Market, um, Carson City Village Market. A real butcher shop is kind of a hard thing to come by these days. They're they're just not as many out there. So when no. you find one, it's like you, like that's the place <laughs> you need to go. And I close at six. <laughs> what <laughs> right, I found. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, Adam, thank you so much for hopping on. We appreciate it. And before we go, what's your favorite outdoor edge knife? Because they got, I mean, those replaceable blade ones are pretty awesome. What's your favorite? Yeah, the razor blades. You know, they got that combo kit uh, that's got the little saw in it as well. And I, I use, I've got two of them with me here. That's my favorite all around unit that, uh, that they have for sure. Yeah. I like now he's got the blades where he's got the long fillet blade and he's got the shorter one that yeah. all go into the same it's knife. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. It's a platform platform. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> we don't have a platform related sound effect. Do we? we have a platform. It's called deer cast <sighs> and, uh, I'm going to go get on it. The right fan chairs this. in there are awesome. Starting like to heat up some really cool stuff and guys killing velvet bucks. And there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. You know, and realistically now's the time we, we, you know, we were starting to see it 
pick up and downloads yep. and stuff because you, you're, everybody's getting to the point where you're close enough to your season. What And hell, in the summer, you know, I was looking at the 10 day for rain, still looking for that rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully going to get some today, fingers crossed. Here's but hoping. you're getting to the point now where you're looking at the 10 day and it's you part of the season. season. Yeah. For, for us here in Missouri, obviously where you're at, Adam, you're in deer season, but it's, it's nice to see it. And so, <sighs> so it's exciting. amazing what happens in the brain when it, it's like a switch is flipped. Uh-huh. It's like, all right, we're here finally, man. It's here. We've been talking time about to finish it for up our preseason prep. <laughs> time to get that <laughs> that spring and summer prep done. Jeez. Now that fall's here, <laughs> so, oh, it's fun to be under the gun. That's for a whole different podcast to talk yeah, about yeah. Our, our inadequacies. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go on and on. Well, Adam, thanks again for stopping by. Uh, thank you to everyone who is watching and listening right now. If you want to leave a question for us, just go to the show notes and click send voicemail. Leave us your name, location. Thank you to Wildman for doing that. If you got a nickname like Wildman. You're almost 100% assured to get yeah, on. We're, we're going to get day. you on. Also, leave a rating and review for us in whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. $200 is $200. We will give you money. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Till next time. Let's shut it down. All right. Peace out. See ya. Boom. Every hunt starts with a game plan, like knowing when and what to plant. So get DeerCast and get ahead of your game. <laughs>